By this time, the suitcase was getting very heavy, so I rested on a grassy knoll and took a peek inside. As I opened it, out burst a fountain of many-coloured butterflies, rainbow game counters, chess pieces, laughing cutlery, tiny chairs and tables, and flying plates covered with exotic fruit. All right, welcome again to another segment of the Grassy Knoll on this Friday, October 20th, 2006. Uh, with us today is Ralph Seishmar. We're going to talk about an event that occurred uh, six years and a day after uh, Waco, four years and a day after the Murrow Building bombing in uh, OKC. Now, um, we're not necessarily going to tie this in to those dates. That's not the thrust of the show, but we might address that later or perhaps on another show. It's still a bit of, um, and curiosity is a bad word to use in a situation like this, but we are talking about the Columbine High School Massacre back on April 20th, 1999. And, uh, Ralph, thanks very much for uh, coming on the show. Okay. All right. All right. You're awake now. That's all right. All, all these guys in the West Coast, I don't know. Um, now, a lot of people do research and, and never goes any further than that. It, um, <clears throat> um, I'm sorry. The mic was dead on that. <laughs> My fault. Uh, we are with Ralph Sashmore, and he's on the line right now. Now, um, a lot of people do research uh, and don't really do anything further than that. It's, it's like FYI in a sense. But um, you uh, researched the Columbine situation and took it uh, to another level. One, um, what drew you to that event other than what drew us all, but to even compel you to go further uh, into uh, perhaps a great deal of the anomalies uh, that occurred on that day? Well, I have to say that uh, uh, my, uh, my interest was really sparked on that first day as I saw the events unfolding just like you. But uh, I questioned at that time why two youths would do such a thing, especially two seniors about to graduate. Normally that's a time of optimism and hope. And here the, uh, these two guys are planning uh, murder. And uh, as I noticed in the months following, some uh, strange things that were not reported in the newspaper, anomalies. And uh, as I got more and more into it, uh, I noticed that it was uh, really kind of a, a boutique interest. Not that many people were questioning what was going on. And I, I kind of stayed with it just for that reason, that there weren't that many people researching it. For example, there's a lot of people who do the 9-11 stuff, mm-hmm. uh, who do the JFK assassination stuff, but almost no one was doing Columbine. So I felt a personal responsibility to do my own little investigation and bring out the facts as best I could. I, I didn't get it, if you know what I mean, back uh, in 99, nor in 95, or nor in 93. And in 93, we also had an event that was close to me at that time when I was living in uh, New Jersey, right across the river from Manhattan. We had the uh, the bombing of the, the, the World Trade Center. So a lot of stuff was going on in the 90s, and it may or may not have anything to do with Clinton's watch. But... Um, with regard to Columbine and perhaps you getting it maybe before um, other people did, was there something about the way things were happening in the 90s that made you uh, suspicious? Uh, no, not really. I, I'd, heard, I'd heard, of course, about OKC and Waco, and those were, were very suspicious too. But by that time, I had woken already. So it wasn't really, really that surprising. But, uh, but as I said, what kind of disturbed me about Columbine was that the people really didn't see it. The, the more I dug into it, the more obvious it was. And it, of course, it was just a, a continuation of a pattern that we saw throughout that decade and, and even now. All right, 
it's when you see a continuation of a pattern, as you look back, you can see some some uh, connectivity. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, there's a, you know, ever since uh, the 60s, there's been a whole string of covert operations that were, were kind of obvious if you looked into it. And uh, Clinton's era was no different, unfortunately. No, in fact, I think that was the most intensified period uh, there might have been. Uh, can you give us the official storyline on what took place that day? Yeah, officially speaking, uh, just two young men, uh, Eric Harris, 18, and Dylan Klebold, 17, planned and executed this, this horrible act of mass murder on April 20th, 1999. Uh, that's basically the official story. They did it alone. Uh, some people may have had uh, inkling that something was going on, but basically it was just those two. And as I read all the newspaper accounts, you know, I started reading the official documents when they were released, and my suspicions grew. There was just too many indications that there were others involved, uh, most especially, I think, by the eyewitnesses on the scene. You know, it's kind of strange uh, that I would go back and look at some of the um, m uh, mainstream accounts, and the fact that, really, um, the toll that was taken there in numbers uh, varies. So, do you remember what the, um, the number dead and wounded were? Uh, certainly, there was uh, uh, 15 dead, including the two uh, alleged perpetrators, and some 23 people wounded. That's that's a fairly high number for for just two people doing it. Okay. So, all right. Um, what kind of weaponry was reported to have been used? Uh, they had two shotguns that were seized on their bodies. There was also a, a, a machine pistol called the Tech Nine. Mm-hmm. And there was also a, uh, an assault rifle type weapon called a high point rifle. But all those weapons were fairly cheap and, you know, not high quality weapons. Um, Alright, so we got each having a shotgun, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. One, uh, Cleveland had, was supposed to have a double barreled shotgun sawed off, and Harris uh, was supposed to have a pump action shotgun sawed off. Alright, uh, with the pump action, how many rounds can you get off before you have to reload, do you know? Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I think it's about five or six rounds. You to the, uh, okay, so uh, now can we assume that one of them had the Tech-9 the other had an assault rifle? That's correct, yeah. All right, um, not that it matters so much, but I mean, I, I'm thinking that anybody who's going to per uh, perpetrate something like this, shotguns are not necessarily uh, the weapon of choice, mainly because, as you just said, you can only get so many rounds off and you got to stop. Oh, that's true, especially with a double-barreled shotgun. Now, were those shotguns used necessarily uh, to... Uh, to bust them to places that were locked, or was that just... And, and in fact, did they start with that first, do you know? Oh, uh, you mean what weapon they used first? Yeah. Uh, I believe it was uh, mostly, no, the, uh, the the 9 millimeter weapons. The oh. Tech 9 and the, the uh, other one. Oh, did, but they, they did switch off throughout the attack, allegedly. Okay, now, that reminds me, I might have overlooked this. You just said something uh, at the outset regarding the shotguns. Were the shotguns found on them? Uh, all the weapons were found close to the bodies, that's correct, in the library where they allegedly committed suicide. Okay. Uh, Interestingly enough, if I could add something, sure. uh, the, the Tech-9 was found <clears throat> clutched in uh, the right hand of, of perpetrator Dylan Klebold, yet the, uh, the entry wound was in his left temple, and he was also left-handed. So here you have a left-handed shooter with an entry wound in his left temple, and he's got the gun clutched in his right hand. What right. does that tell you? Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just contemplating that. Yes, you're exactly right. In fact, and, and I want to say this also, folks, because there's a little bit of a different um, chronology to some of the interviews I've done. Uh, the first one you're hearing is with Ralph regarding Columbine. I did do two pre-records 
with the author of a book called Dunblane Unburied, Sandra Utley. She's in uh, England. Also with Andrew McGregor, a 17-year veteran of a police force in Australia who has done work with Port Arthur. Both are massacres. Dunblane was in a school. Port Arthur was at a resort area. But the reason I mention this is because at the time that we did those interviews, I did it so that I could accommodate where those folks were in time zones, which, you know, is just not compatible uh, to where I am. Um, so after you hear Ralph today, you're going to hear Sandra Utley regarding Dunblane next Wednesday. You're going to hear Andrew McGregor next Friday um, addressing Port Arthur. And then we're going to have another gentleman come on in November again, uh, a teacher, I believe, an instructor at a junior college uh, who was very familiar with the area as well. So uh, this is what's taking place here. I think because of what's, what happened in the United States recently uh, in uh, Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, also in Las Vegas, in a situation, again, in, in Colorado, I don't know, it just struck me that I, that I thought it was time to, to take another look back at what happened to tell us more about what's going on now and what you might see in the future. Um, <clears throat> was there anybody in the local news, if you recall, at the very first uh, reports, which they can never... Um, alter or censor, was there ever a mention of anyone but the two as this thing evolved? <clears throat> Initially, I didn't hear about it until a couple hours after it started. That's when I was at a friend's house, and he, he uh, told me something was going on on the TV. So I did not hear the initial accounts. Okay. Uh, you say they can't be censored. Well, they kind of have been. Uh, to this very day, you cannot get news footage from the first half oh. hour of the incident. No doubt, Ralph. Uh, and let me tell you uh, also, uh, we have people joining us as we go on. Some of them jump in late. We're speaking with Ralph Seishmart. We're talking about Columbine, uh, a high school massacre, uh, into which he's done much uh, research over the years. And so, no, uh, by all means, understand me. They censored after the fact. But when those accounts go off raw, uh, across radio and uh, television, they're, they're not often caught, uh, as we all know about 9-11. And, of course, yes, you never will hear that stuff again. Even in archives, if anybody ripped any, uh, did you ever come across any mention of, of more than two people? Uh, in the popular media? Yeah. Yes, uh, yes, I did, actually. There were a repeated mention of, of other witnesses who saw a third gunman. Uh, but they, they kind of told about that in passing. And it's true that those were more common in the first few right. days. But as the, the time went on, that talk of that gradually became less and less. Uh, you know, I would point out that the, uh, the police, within a couple hours, they had uh, identified the two shooters even before that uh, they, they broke in and, and allegedly found the body. Oh, no, uh, would you state that again just to clarify? Uh, I would say that within two or three hours of the incident happening, they had already identified that it was two shooters. Okay. Uh, and just two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then a couple hours later, they came out with the names. And I always thought that was awfully suspicious. Especially, uh, one point I want to make, there were many, many eyewitnesses who did identify other people involved. There were also many eyewitnesses who saw more than two at one time. Sure. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, I wanted to give the mainstream the benefit of the doubt if it ever let leak out that there were more than two. And you're saying yeah, there might have been some cursory um, mentions of it, but, of course, that was all shut up and finished with not long after, I guess, the, uh, the closing of the, uh, the event. Well, the, the police and media knew that there were many people in the local area who had seen these individuals, and, of course, there were rumors and there was a lot of talk. So the, the media had to mention that fact that they, people had seen others and there were other IDs. But at the same time, they kind of poo-pooed it. it was, that kind of talk was generally followed by 
you know, but of course mm-hmm. you've identified just two and it's just two, that kind of stuff. I know, the both of them, uh, Klebold and Harris. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Harris was supposedly on uh, psychotropic drugs. Was uh, uh, Klebold a user? Uh, we don't know to this very day. They never did uh, release the results of a full autopsy or a toxicological screen, so we don't know. There has been, uh, once again, speculation. Some people say that he was, but for some curious reason, we can't find out. I had on the show, I'm sorry, um, did you, you want to finish that comment? Uh, I'm saying they just won't tell us, so, mm. you know. Uh, I, um, I did a show like a couple of years ago with uh, Dr. Ann Blake Tracy, mm-hmm. who is a, a big uh, proponent of um, the dangers uh, and getting the dangers known about uh, what they would call SSRIs. We call them antidepressants. Uh, right, I'm familiar with that. And she went, uh, at the time I spoke to her, she was on her way back from... Um, uh, giving testimony uh, before a Senate subcommittee, along with a survivor of the shooting, uh, and um, and she uh, she was a uh, you know very forthcoming that obviously uh, Harris was under uh, the medications. Now whether or not he stopped him and and that you know I don't know about that, but certainly he was uh, identified as being someone who was under that medication. Yes, that's true. He was allegedly prescribed Luvox for obsessive compulsive disorder. Ooh. Although. Why exactly, under what circumstances, once again, we don't know. Is uh, He had a psychologist. That man was never interviewed by police, apparently. Now, why? you know. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. And even today, there's questions of motive, why they did it. You would think that the psychologist would be one of the first people they'd go to to find out his mental state. Yeah, and kind of, and kind of do a deconstruction of, of everything right. that led up to that uh, very violent moment. Yes, exactly, a forensic autopsy. Now, the, the two of them were part of a group called the Trench Coat Mafia. That's correct, yes. Now, um, did that group uh, contain more than just the two of them? or? Uh, it did, actually, yeah. There was, I would say, roughly uh, five to seven active members and a, and a larger group of associates behind that, maybe another 20 who knew of their activities, were friends with them. Well, would that necessarily mean that there were another group or two that um, kind of had their own little um, identity? Was there something like the Splatterpunks or something? Uh, well, they were a, a kind of a clique. They, they hung out together. They, they, they uh, were in school together. They all exhibited more or less the same characteristics. And uh, there was one charismatic member who led the group. He was also involved in the shooting. As we, oh, okay, as we'll find out later. All right. Um, was this an antagonistic group for over a year? In other words, they're seniors, so they're pretty much, you know, the, the alpha males mm-hmm. in a high school s- uh, setting. Uh, but was this something that went on for years and that they were not necessarily the founding members of? Or? That's true. They weren't the founding members. There was also uh, already by 1997, two years prior, this group had kind of formed. And uh, they had gotten their picture into the high school yearbook in 1998. But by 1999, the membership had dropped off, and, and of course, after the shooting, there was no more trench coat mafia. Hmm. Okay, now, uh, was there antagonistic behavior between uh, this group or any of the other related groups uh, in years before? <clears throat> well, they, they, that group certainly was known for being uh, antisocial. They did a lot of vandalism. They got into repeated fights with the athletes of the school. That whenever something happened at the school, they were brought in and questioned. Yeah, they were definitely antagonistic toward others. I mean, they actually got in a, a fist fights with uh, the jocks? Oh, exactly, yeah. They, they were no shrinking violets. They, they were probably the aggressors in any kind of a conflict with other groups. Not that this matters, but it just gives us a little bit more of a... <laughs> you can't really call it humanity in this case, but 
Um, were these guys uh, in that group, or uh, Klebold and Harris themselves, um, uh, physically um, uh, 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 dominant or uh, imposing? Uh, no, no. Uh, Harris. Well, there were, uh, most of the members of the group were kind of big. Most that is true. Most of them were big, but they weren't uh, uh, ultra heavy. They weren't. The, I don't know what you'd call domineering. Yeah, I'd just say they were antisocial. Oh, yeah, well, there's a lot of ways of showing that, but... Uh, yeah, but well, the, they were known for walking through the hallways, staring at people. Mm -hmm. uh, they certainly would not shrink down from the fight. Did any of them have um, a prior a felony? I think, mo <coughs> uh, yes, I would have to say it's very definitely true. The main members all had rap sheets, uh, sometimes quite extensive rap sheets. Unfortunately, we don't know what they were arrested for or what they were tried for. All that information was redacted in the official documents. And actually, whatever happened, obviously, even if they were in juvie uh, a year or so before, they were all out and in school, so whatever it was, I and mean, we're not talking about armed robbery or something like that, so... Uh, well, uh, we don't know, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I would say that the, the leader, uh, the, the most violent member of the group, he had an arrest record dating back to age seven. At seven? At seven years old. There was some uh, hints that, that he had committed a, a hideous crime at age five, involving the, the death of a, of a friend or a classmate, but that, that's speculative. Okay. We don't know. All right, so... The, it is true that he was arrested at age seven. The other thing also with the mainstream story, mm -hmm. uh, what did they say was the timeline? How long did the event take place? Uh, officially, let's see now, it started approximately 11.20, and the, the first media account said it lasted until about 4 p.m. That's when they, they, the police declared that the school had been secured. So from about 11.20 to 4 p.m. Right. It, it, it later turned out, though, that the, uh, they, they changed the time of death of Harris Klebold to 12.08. That's officially speaking when they committed suicide. So from about 11.20 to 12.08, that's 48 minutes. Okay. Now... Yeah. Maybe we can start here, unless you have a better idea. But let me let me posit this, and if you think you want to approach it from a different uh, point, uh, by all means. Now, is this one of the first, uh, shall we say, stinkers that's involved with the uh, the uh, mainstream account, and perhaps what really did take place? Is this idea of the exchanges all uh, going on between, let's say, 11:20 and around noon or so? Uh, are there reports that the shooting was going on much longer than that? Well, interesting enough, after 1208, the time that the uh, perpetrators allegedly committed suicide, there is a, a long string of reports of gunfire, suspects, explosions happening after that, all the way up to about 4, or let's say 3.50 p.m. You've got people seeing perpetrators walking the hallways, you've got people hearing gunshots going off outside the classroom doors, uh, running back and forth. It just it went on and on. Well, I'm just I'm looking at uh, part of the um, the timeline you have posted in the forum, mm -hmm. and folks, um, I will have up in the archive audio along with the link to this interview um, the uh, uh, forum. Are you the moderator of that forum, Ralph? I'm not the moderator. No, I just posted. Okay, uh, but I'm going to put that link to uh, that forum so people can read what's been going on there with the information. Uh, you, a lot, some stuff is speculation, but they can find out for themselves uh, the hard stuff from uh, what might be a, a speculation. Also, while we're at it, um, you said on Alex Jones' site, are we looking at InfoWars or Prison Planet where there's also more information about Columbine? Uh, 
Oh, yes, I posted the, the primary uh, uh, fruits of the, my investigation on that site, infowars.com forum. All right. Um, if you do know, um, in fact, remember, I mean, I is there a link down the left-hand side of that site that will uh, hook up to you, and what is the heading if there is one? Uh, 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 the, uh, the, the post at InfoWars? Yeah. It, I just posted under uh, unanswered questions of the Columbine Massacre. All right. Now, uh, on that home page, is there a link that you can click on? Because or, or uh, I know... I know the site's are a little different. I get a little mixed up. I go mostly to Prison Planet. But is, if you put the um, some words in a search engine, will you come up to your... Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. All right. My site's uh, it's called Echoes of Columbine on EasyBoard. It's a forum. Okay. So just type in Echoes of Columbine EasyBoard. You'll get right to it. All right. Good deal. Thank you. Uh, again, folks, um, we have with us Ralph Seishmar. We're talking about uh, Columbine uh, High School's massacre that took place on April 20th, 1999. All right, now, uh, going back to hearing the gunshots, and this is what got me to do that little uh, um, wrap on uh, where they can find information uh, that you've posted and others, because I'm looking at the type line I printed out, and I'm, just to hit one of them, uh, for instance, it says, um, there's a woman in a, oh, okay, she said, um, librarian Lois Keene hiding in RNN sound booth says, last shots heard around uh, one thirty hours. Does she mean one thirty? Oh, yes, correct, 1.30 in the afternoon. All right, there's another one in here that I came across I thought was interesting also. Um, hiding in a cabinet, library witness Patricia Nielsen says she hears a small, short burst of gunfire in the library. She looked at her watch to know what time it was. All right, now, um, let's, let's get back to, to the fact that the shooting was going on. Was it all friendly, do you know? I mean, who, when did the uh, law enforcement finally enter the building? Well, uh, that was a big bone of contention. Initially, they thought they didn't enter until three hours after the shooting started. But when the uh, investigation, the final report came out, they claimed that they had entered initially. At approximately the same time, Harrison Klebold committed suicide, allegedly, around 12.08. However, the first entry was on the other side of the school. It proceeded very, very slowly, classroom to classroom. Uh, so that they never got anywhere near the perpetrators when they were alive. An what? hour later, approximately 1.10 p.m., there was another entry of a SWAT team in the cafeteria area on the other side of the school, just below the library where the shooters were. Mm -hmm. And that also proceeded very, very slowly. What? One by room, uh, a lot of the students were not evacuated until approximately 3 p.m. Now, were they necessarily, uh, the students that, that is, uh, were they necessarily locked down in their respective classrooms? Uh, most of the students at that time who were left in the school were locked in classrooms, that's correct. They barricaded the doors and they, they waited for the SWAT. Uh, one thing uh, that struck me when I was reading the personal accounts is that the uh, students were more frightened when the SWAT team came to the doors than when the shooters were roaming the hallways. All right, now that's provocative. Uh, do you know why or can you... Um uh, perhaps um, posit why? Uh, I don't know uh, why. They, they never really explained what, in what manner the police were acting. I, I just know that they were, uh, a lot of the people complained that the, the police were very rude, very insulting. Uh, that, that's when they, they were scared. There was one uh, young fellow named uh, Matt DePue. He was locked in one of the rooms out the kitchen. He was in contact with a, a Denver police officer the entire time. And when the SWAT team, team came to the door around 3 p.m., he asked this officer he was in contact with to tell his father that he loved him because he thought he was going to die. Well, the policemen were at the door. That's when he was most afraid. 
to what agency did the um, SWAT members belong? Uh, well, there was a couple of SWAT teams. They had a, a Jefferson County SWAT team, a Denver SWAT team was very active. There was an FBI team there. Uh, but it, precisely who did what was also never explained. Are you talking about Denver PD? Denver PD, right, yeah. All right, now, were there SWAT members of the FBI there? Uh, there was also an FBI team there, that's correct. Okay. All right, now, um, so, so we had about what? We had about three uh, uh, law enforcement departments there. Uh, actually, there was more than that. There was about, I'd say, 12 to 15 different departments there at one time or another. And where would, might they come from? Uh, well, you had Jefferson County, the local, they had Littleton PD, Lakewood PD, Aurora PD, Denver PD. These were all suburbs of Denver, of course. And you also had the ATF was there. Right. Uh, and the FBI was there, of course. The next day, FEMA made an appearance. You know, they, they brought in just about everybody. Well, there was, there was a, a decent amount of criticism of, of uh, the way uh, the law enforcement handled it that day. I mean, uh, did you know whether or not they um, set up some kind of command post and, and one agency took over the, uh, the operation? Uh, they, they did set up a command post uh, within an hour. It was never uh, quite clear who, who was in charge there. Nominally, the Jefferson County Sheriff John Stone was in charge, but he, he, he was walking around in a daze. He was kind of shell-shocked. Uh, I remember reading many years later the accounts of the officers there, and, and they mentioned a number of names about four or five, uh, like a committee, but they never quite got down who was in charge. There was a lot of rumors that the whole crime scene was federalized almost immediately. Uh, but which, means that they, which means they would have taken, um, uh, I, I guess, over the operation where the uh, top dogs. Right, they would have assumed tactical command. Everybody would have been under the, the feds if that had happened. Did all uh, law enforcement agencies enter through the same side? Uh, no, no, they, they ended primarily, I believe, to, uh, through two sides, on the east side and the west side. That, those were the initial entry teams. All right, and one, that would have been what? Was the cafeteria one entrance point? Or? Right, that was the cafeteria on the west side. <coughs> Excuse me, they entered around 910, I think, and on the uh, east side, they entered about 1208, uh, a whopping 45 minutes after the shooting started. Were there two or three uh, rooms, in fact, and I'm thinking the library's got to be one of them, where there was um, a considerable body count? I mean, well, not necessarily deceased, but also wounded. Um, the, primarily, most of the deaths and the wounded happened in two places, uh, right outside the west entrance and also in the library. Now, the shooters were also seen uh, shooting up the cafeteria when students were in there. They were roaming the hallways shooting. But uh, officially speaking, most of the casualties did happen in, in the library and outside the west entrance. When you say outside the west entrance, you're talking about outdoors, right? Right, right, right outside the, the doors of the school on the west side. All right, now, um, why don't we get down to exactly what the problem is with the number of people involved beyond um, Klebold and Harris. Now, there is there are two people at least that I've seen uh, whose names or descriptions have come up time and again. Mm -hmm. One is the supposed uh, white T-shirt bomber. Right. And the other is, uh, I, I guess, an individual by the, whose last name is Perry. Okay. You, you want to identify these people by, by name, or should we just use first names? I don't want to. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, the only reason I'm doing it, and, and it's, you know, I, I understand, it's just that once it hits the uh, Internet and it's there to be taken, I mean, it's public record. Right. It is public record. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't see where, where our liability comes in here. Okay. All right. Sure. Um, so, am I right? White T-shirt bomber was, uh, and was that individual ever possibly identified? Uh, well, of course, the police uh, interviewed him right away. They detained him almost right away, as they did the other perpetrators. But that person himself was never identified. 
He was probably not a student there. He was described as being considerably older, uh, although from early 20s to early 30s. But um, no, we never found out his name. Now, how many uh, uh, eyewitnesses say they saw him throwing devices up on the roof? Uh, I believe just two or three people. However, he was seen also in other areas, uh, being involved in the attack group. Altogether, I would say there was probably about 20 eyewitnesses who saw this person on the scene. Was that explained away at all by him being some kind of like an air conditioning repairman or something? No, that, that, that was another person on the roof, okay. uh, this white t-shirt bomber fellow. Uh, the police said that that was Eric Harris. He had just dropped his black trench coat. That's how they explained that away. But that's ridiculous because other witnesses uh, saw three of them all together at one time. He was described as wearing light blue jeans, which Eric Harris is wearing black pants. So that never flew with any any researcher or any student of the massacre. All right. Uh, the other individual whose last name is, is uh, referred to as Perry, uh, more people had seen this individual. Is that correct? Uh, we have uh, at least uh, 11 people who saw him and possibly as many as 20 who saw this individual and identified him. And among them were also, what, one or two teachers? or? Uh, uh, let's see now. I, I would say, yeah, there was probably one or two adults that identified, but most of them were students. They knew this guy. He, he had been kicked out a semester before. He had a very distinctive physical appearance, and he was also heavily involved in the Trenchcoat Mafia group. Uh, how far back before the event had there been some kind of, um, I don't want to say discussion, but some mentioning by these characters that something was going to happen? And, uh, same memory. I think they had started indicating at least six months before they had been telling their associates that they were planning on shooting at the school. Uh, there were a couple of girls that came uh, forth afterwards. They told friends that they had, uh, you know, they had been planning it for a year and they had known about it already. Do you know if, if it began six months before the fact that it continued all throughout those six months up until? Well, we, we don't really have a good idea of what they were doing as far as uh, planning, when they were meeting, whose idea came, you know, who came up with it, uh, who was assigned what role. Uh, but the police did say that they'd been planning it for a year, according to what they uh, seized from the homes of the two firms. Were there any indications that it was going to take place in April? Uh, let's see. Well, no, not, not really. Okay. Uh, the people, they had already set the date a long time prior, and I think a couple of the insiders knew what was going to happen. All right, besides the insiders, anybody realize the date had been set? Uh, no, I don't believe so. can't say that that's true. All right. Did anybody even guess, uh, whether at the time or in retrospect, that April 20th being Hitler's birthday might have been the day? No, no, that, that really didn't come up beforehand. The, the, the uh, whole Trenchcoat Mafia group had dropped lots of hints that they were planning an attack, but they did not uh, specify a date. They made violent videos of the school being blown up. They were constantly referring to an attack on the school in their compositions or essays. And they, they basically, you know, were not shy about that at all. So did the teachers alert administration about the uh, kind of content they were getting in English class? Well, uh, one teacher got a, a violent essay by Dylan Klebold. She thought it was so disturbing she did go to his parents. That's true. But uh, there are also other indications that the police may have known or picked up on it. After all, you know, this, this notorious group in the school was being heavily watched. So they, they must have had some kind of uh, indication, I would say. Here in the state of Florida, it's mandatory that they have a resource officer, which is a member of the sheriff's <laughs> department, in every school, or at least in every high school. 
Uh, was there any situation like that in Colorado at that time, do you know? Yes, actually the, the, the Columbine did have a full-time Denver, or rather a Jefferson County Sheriff's Deputy at that school. When the shooting broke out, he was like a block away, I think, uh, eating lunch. Okay. Other school employee, and he came to the school right away. But uh, tellingly, he never went into that school after the shooting started. All right. He did not risk his life in any way that I could see. He was ensconced in the parking lot behind a vehicle. All right, this is speculation, but is there something curious about the fact he wasn't in the building? Uh, at the time, not really, no. And he, he, you know, he's allowed to go out to campus for lunch, and he doesn't have to stay at the school all the time. But what I think is most suspicious is that he did not uh, uh, return risk his life in any serious way that I could see to save those kids. He was there to protect them, and once the shooting started, he spent most of the time huddled behind a vehicle. Uh, has security changed since that time at, at that school in particular? I, I imagine it has. It's probably gotten a lot tighter, as it has in many, many schools across the nation. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, we have this mania for 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 turning our schools into minimum security institutions. It seems like. So, all right. With 34 minutes after the hour, you're listening to the grass. You know, we have with us today um, Rob Seishmar. He's talking about uh, Columbine. Uh, he's the first of uh, four guests to uh, come on the show between now and November 1st, talking about uh, massacres. Um, two, uh, let's see. Well, uh, actually, two of which do uh, pertain to children, because we're, uh, we're going to talk twice about Columbine, once about Dunblane, which was an elementary school in uh, in Scotland, and um, again, we're going to speak about uh, what took place at Port Arthur, Australia, which involved uh, tourists um, down there. Um, so. What's the best assessment that seems to be corroborated by eyewitness accounts as to how many perps there were involved in the activities at Columbine? Uh, my best guess is that there were at least seven people involved in the active assault party. Uh, we know that six of them were, were witnessed bearing weapons and shooting. There was one other individual who was seen. Uh, he was there, part of that group, although he was not seen with a weapon as far as I know. I would caution, though, that there's many, many eyewitness interviews that were never made public. Uh, There's just no trace of them in in the released evidence, so there could be many, many more eyewitnesses. As it is, there probably are. As I said, these kids were known at that school. A few of them, it seems to have worn a mask during the massacre, but most of them did not. And the eyewitnesses really did not have any trouble identifying the other participants. So so there's probably a lot of people that still saw these people. About... um devices that were thrown rooftop, uh, did they detonate? Uh, they did throw pipe bombs initially, uh, and they had little devices called crickets, and many of those did detonate, that's true. Most of them did not, but initially many did detonate, yes. Now, was there any, I mean, was there any particular reason that would have been involved? In other words, if it didn't have any real uh, damaging effect as it regards uh, human life, uh, was this some kind of diversion or the bombs? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess they wanted to cause as, as much confusion and destruction as possible. Officially speaking, no one was injured by a bomb. There was talk initially of some uh, girl who had been uh, hit by shrapnel, but then uh, she kind of disappeared. So, no. Officially speaking, no one was injured by a bomb. Were there also devices that had gone off? I guess we could call them IEDs nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in any of uh, the uh, the school rooms. Uh, not within the rooms. They had uh, planted a, a, a large propane bomb in the cafeteria, possibly one in the kitchen. They had other propane-type devices laying around 
inside and outside, but exactly where that information also was never never quite released. All right, did anybody try to um, uh, place how early uh, those devices had to be um, um, uh, put in their locations? Well, that was kind of interesting. Uh, when, when all was said and done, I think the police counted more than 90 explosive devices in the school, in their, in their cars. They also left some at home. And one of the big questions was how could they bring all these devices into the school? When did they do that? Did they carry all this gear around with them? That's unlikely. They were seen with some light backpacks, which had ammo and ammunition clips, but not, not big enough to carry all the bombs. So that was never quite explained, how they got all these devices into the school and when they planted them. All right. At this time, also, folks, if you want to uh, ask a question or make a comment, you can do so uh, via email. It's Visigoth at Hotmail.com. If you're using an IM service, you can use uh, MSN. That would be Visigoth. Or Yahoo, that would be Viz1400, and uh, uh, feel free to do so at this time. Now, uh, this might take a, a turn for the more nefarious, but when you have that many devices reportedly in a building, um, this is not the night before type of situation for two people, would you say? Uh, you mean, uh, is it possible they brought them in the night before? Well, it's still a lot of work for two people, not, not necessarily uh, Klebold and Harris. There might have been others, but still, don't you? Well, I mean, again, this is asking your opinion. Uh, or if you can cite somebody who spoke to this, but that's an awful lot of IEDs to be placed in any place, one, so late before the event, and if it's been done earlier, would they would be discovered. So what kind of, uh, what kind of time would that have taken to uh, have, have placed IEDs all over? Well, you would think quite a lot. Uh, uh, the official story had it that they, they did all this right before the attack started. For example, they said they came into the cafeteria with two large duffel bags uh, that were had con uh, crudely constructed propane bonds in them. Unfortunately, none of the 400 people in that cafeteria saw them do that. But that's the official story. That's the kind of nonsense they had to cobble together to make this thing work. Well, what's... Um discomforting about what you just said also is that it's reminiscent, at least in my thinking, okay, with, with regard to what happened uh, at the Murrow building when um, it was only supposedly the, uh, the rider truck, and yet, and here's a case, uh, Ralph, where I was kind of alluding to um, early on, and that is, uh, I've seen uh, TV reports, the very first ones that come out uh, from OKC, and all the talking heads, all the news people are saying there's, there were there were more than well, there were uh, bombs. Let's put it that way. They didn't say a bomb. They said they were bombs. Right. Uh, Keating, the governor at the time, also said that he saw a sophisticated device. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can go back and out the Davids that are up on the website uh, with people saying a day or two before they saw people in there uh, with what looked like blueprints pointing in different areas. And supposedly, I guess BATF took out at least one or more devices. All right. So here we have again, and we won't even go into 9/11. But we have a situation where devices might have been laid in early, uh, and unfortunately by some black op government people, uh, who knows. Uh, are you suspecting, or, well, what is, what is the feeling of something a little bit bigger than uh, the trench coat mafia being involved in Columbine? I think that that's probably self-evident if you look at the number of people who witnessed others involved. Uh, I would have said that there were five other people, the ID the five other people on the scene. These people were all detained almost immediately afterwards, but then they were let go. And the question was, with the strength of the evidence against them, why did they let them go? And my feeling, the only logical explanation is that they, uh, this would have led to a wider 
that there was more gunfire going on that may have not been friendly than there was two people to um, pull it off, especially where their locations might be. Uh, yes, uh, one, one of the things that struck me was that there was a, a many ear uh, uh, witnesses, I should say, who heard gunfire in two different parts of the school simultaneously, where where the official story says that the two pe uh, perpetrators were together almost the entire time. People would run from gunfire in one hallway, and they'd come in, uh, in contact with a shooter at the other end of the hallway. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm just and shooters upstairs, downstairs. They showed up the administration office, the library, and science hall. They just had too many uh, perpetrators in one place at one time for it to have been two people. All right, now could this possibly be construed as um, law enforcement um, uh, shooting at shadows or supposed uh, uh, gunmen or anything like that? Uh, there was one incident at about 12.30. Uh, this was a full 20 minutes after Harrison Cleveland allegedly committed suicide. He did have four Denver SWAT officers shooting into the library. Uh, officially, they were just shooting at their own reflections in the, the glass, but they, these officers said that something was being thrown out at them, some kind of IED or whatever, and at least three of them discharged their weapons into the library door from outside. Well, personally, if an IED was thrown at me, I'd probably boogie out of there before I stood there and shot in, you know? Well, it is obviously good evidence that there was other shooters there. If there was somebody... Uh, engaging with cops at 12.40 and the first died at 12.08, you know, obviously there's more involved. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to emphasize before we run out of time sure. that, that there are over 40 eyewitnesses that identified other participants by name. You've got another 50 or so who identified uh, uh, more than two people at one time. They gave uh, testimony that there was three or more. So there's, there's reams and reams of eyewitness testimony that indicates that there was more than two shooters. Now, those other shooters, were they also known to the students, or were they strangers? Uh, with the exception of one who remains unidentified, the others before others were uh, students or ex-students at the school. People knew who these people were. They were members of the trench coat mafia. I know. I'm passing over um, some of the uh, information I took from the, uh, the forum. And it is interesting. We spoke about the, the supposed uh, air conditioning repairman, but some people saw that he had a, a weapon? Uh, not he himself. Uh, there was about ten students that gave uh, a testimony that there was a shooter on the roof. They said they had been fired by the rooftop gunman, that he had a weapon. But it was never clear that this, this rooftop repairman was the same person. All right, but there was somebody on the rooftop. There was, I would say very definitely, there was a shooter on the roof at one time or another. Was there any kind, now looking back, was there any kind of activity at the uh, high school whatever time before the event that might have been uh, a bit out of the ordinary? Well, one thing I was curious was that they had had crisis training drills in the weeks prior, which may have involved a scenario of a gunman on campus. I don't know the exact nature, but they did have crisis training drills right before. Uh, the day before, the Jefferson County School District was giving a seminar on school safety and what to do in an emergency or crisis. That was the day before. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was also rumors that the teacher was expecting a fire drill. Uh, they had had rumors of bomb threats being phoned in that morning. So there was a couple of indicators that there was something going on. I also want to add that that morning before the shooting started, a Denver police officer was at that school, as was a Jefferson County Sheriff. That was also never explained why those two law enforcement officers were there that morning.
was there now I saw this in one other place and I'm not sure that it's 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 spoken of here. So without trying to scramble through the papers anymore to find that, uh, let me just throw this out. There is some talk about Okay, maybe it sounds nuts, but some military presence, uh, perhaps NORAD. I mean, what do you know about that? Uh, uh, it was a, a video that came out not too long ago by the History Channel uh, of Combine, and they caught the video image of a colonel and a two-star general on scene in camouflage uniforms. How those two individuals got there, I don't know, but that's what they found. Uh, many of the people who watched the event unfold on television swore that they saw a truck there with the words NATO on it. All right, so that's where I'm coming from. It was NATO and, and then. <laughs> that's what they said. Also, the, uh, two, a couple of days later, there was a memorial service attended by Al Gore. Many of the witnesses saw that the whole scene was surrounded by a convoy of military trucks. They did a flyover by military jets at that ceremony also. Why they would do that for a civilian casualties, I don't know, but that's, that's what it was. So. Well, does anybody know why they did that? No, no, not not to this date. I'm still trying to find that my, out myself. Uh, one other thing. Um, I don't know that NATO works out of there. I know NORAD's in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, ge geographically, uh, I cannot figure out um, how far one is away from the other. Do you have any idea from Littleton to Colorado Springs? Uh, Colorado Springs, I believe, is about 90 miles south of Denver. Right. Uh -huh. Now, is Littleton a suburb? Littleton is a, a incorporated city right southwest of Denver, basically a bedroom suburb of Denver. Okay. Uh, now, there's some other things that I don't know if, if they're that important, but again, uh, we've done a lot of stuff with predictive programming. Also, and this gets into, the, I guess, the realm of metaphysics. We won't stay there too long, but mm -hmm. um, where we know that um, oftentimes there seems a great coincidence between what is being shown on TV and I'll go as far as saying a lot of times on the Fox network, uh, where there seems to be this really strange coincidence of content, well, reflecting what's going to happen in the future, uh, art imitating life, so to speak, before it happens in life. Right. Off the top of your head, uh, are, are you aware of some kind of uh, shows that might have hit a little too close to home, given uh, what did take place? Yes, I did. There, there was a show called uh, The Promised Land on CBS. Okay. For that week, they had scheduled an episode that involved a kid shooting a gun in front of a Denver area high school. That was one of them. That was uh, then pushed back after the massacre. They showed it later on. Mm -hmm. There was another uh, show called uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer on WB Network. That was right. also scheduled to be shown that week. And that plot, or that episode involved a, uh, uh, a plot to shoot everybody in the high school. Okay. It's kind of odd, uh, you know, you already have two episodes of, of TV shows, and they're both referring to, to shooting students in school. So, yep. is that a coincidence, or what's going on there? Yeah, and, and MTV jumped in on this too, didn't they? MTV, yes. They did a special, I believe, on violence in schools. I think it aired two days later. If it aired two days later, obviously it had been in production before then. Right. So, right around Columbine, all these... Uh, shows are supposed to air that featured violence in schools. I'm asking myself, is that coincidence? You know. Now, now um, the situations that we had just recently, and sometimes it just seems they always appear in threes. Mm -hmm. We had an event again in Colorado. There was an event, or near event in uh, Vegas, and of course we had the situation that took place with children in Nickel Mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Well, there were other events besides those three. There was about, it depends on how you, you, what you 
Columbine fits in, into a bigger picture with regard to uh, other events of note um, during uh, 1999. Other events of note? Uh, you mean school violence-related events? Or, or yes. Yes. Uh, what, what, what sometimes what people would call copycat uh, that bear the same M.O. Uh, well, then there, yes, true. The school uh, shooting phenomenon never really ended. Uh, there was copycats, other incidences. I know since that time, uh, many, many school shooters or, or people who are planning a shooting reference Columbine. They reference Eric and Dylan. So, the, you know, the Columbine was the, the watershed event that put that phenomenon on the map, even though there had been school shootings before that. Well, well, we'll close out um, with, with this, and that is, um, as I had told you and as people will uh, probably hear uh, next week, uh, we have Sandra Utley who wrote that book, Unblamed, Unburied, now starting to realize after the fact that what happened there uh, has some uh, compelling similarities to other events uh, uh, to include even what took place at, um, at Port Arthur. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let's, we might as well go where we're going, and that is it's heinous for people to believe this, but uh, I think we have reached that uh, period in our uh, uncivilization where you're starting to see uh, parties we would not like to believe uh, turning on us. So was, yeah. what is the possibility of government involvement and what would be the benefit? Uh, in Columbine? Yes. I'd say the possibility is 100%. There is no other uh, likely scenario that fits into the, uh, the pattern of behavior we saw that day. The fact that five other people were arrested on scene and were quickly let go despite overwhelming eyewitness uh, ident- uh, testimony. So I have to say, yeah, the government was involved. They, they probably... Uh, originated the idea. They're probably behind a lot of these school shootings, as a matter of fact. And I want to emphasize that Columbine was not the only school shooting where people saw other perpetrators on scene. That very same phenomenon happened at Jonesboro, Arkansas, back in 96. That happened in the Erfurt, Germany school shooting. Uh, that happened in the recent Montreal school shooting at Dawson College. There were three people involved in that one. And it it was also Red Lake, the school shooting a couple years ago. There was two people, at least two people involved there. So this kind of thing happens over and over. They'll take one perpetrator, paint him as the patsy, the lone nut patsy, and they'll they'll let the other uh, perpetrators go. All right, with that in mind, and again, I'm not going to say too much now about what um, Sandra has found out about the supposed uh, sole perp in Dunblane, but can can we... well, how in the world, do, do, well, we'll never know the whole forensics of it, okay? So given what you found out or what you know, Ralph, uh, what did it look like? Um, uh, how did uh, Klebold and Harris uh, meet their ends? Uh, I don't believe they killed themselves. Klebold I, 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 definitely, like I said, the gun was found in his right hand, yet he was left-handed. That sounds like he was definitely murdered. If the other, if Harris killed himself, I'd probably more because of a trigger. These people were not suicidal. I don't think they wanted to die. They were making normal plans after graduation. So if they did kill themselves, it was probably due to some kind of uh, a man- mental trigger. Well, they certainly were involved. Um, can you po- possibly uh, come up with some kind of um, rationale where they thought perhaps they would live on or get spirited out of there or you know, be, be considered dead but uh, you know, just whisked away? 
No, no, it's not like that. It's just uh, kind of a schizophrenia. On the one hand, they were planning a suicide mission. On the other hand, they were planning to see a movie the next week. They were planning to go to college. They were planning to see their friends back in uh, back in New York, you know. Well, at the same time, they're planning a suicide mission. So how do you square those facts? You don't. No, you don't. I'm only going to guess. But you know, sometimes when you when you see that kind of situation, you wonder if they if there wasn't some kind of promise. If there if there was government involvement and they were going to be uh, witting, not unwitting tools, that perhaps there was some kind of promise of uh, you know we'll we'll take care of the situation. We'll get you out of here. Now that's me saying that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think that's happened in other cases for sure. Uh, but in that situation, that's one of the ways I could, I could, you know, somewhat jive uh, those two behaviors, if you will. Yeah, uh, I don't think Harris and Cleveland were that uh, that violent. They were had some anger problems, but uh, they didn't hate the school. They were just normal kids, really, in most respects. And uh, I don't see them as being willing participants in this thing. Do you think there was a possibility that there were, uh, say, let's say, black up government types? Uh, who were in that building uh, and just creating more chaos with random fire? Uh, I don't think, no, there's no indication that, that uh, government people were involved, although I, I do emphasize that there was one unidentified shooter remaining. He was older, so he, he could have been a government operative, but the other participants were just students or ex-students. All right. Uh, basically, uh, I think they were mind control. I think somebody was leading him by the nose to do this. All right, so you think that they might have been uh, under some kind of... Uh, shall we say, Manchurian candidate type situation, which everybody understands. I would have to say yes. Uh, Students are sometimes immature, but they, by and large, don't want to destroy their lives so early by by murdering people. All right. Maybe antisocial or violent, but they mostly don't, you know, start shooting people on the streets. It it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Undoubtedly, unfortunately, too, that this might be one of those situations, Ralph, where nobody will ever really know, and this thing remains a mystery. Well, certainly the government will never fess up to anything, just like they have in the JFK case. But you do learn more and more as the years go by. And these kids will be around for a long time, so right. they'll, they'll be able to talk about this 50 years from now. Who knows how long it will take to find out what really might happen All right, Ralph Sashmark, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate the time you spent. We'll send people in your direction uh, very briefly. And um, we're going to speak to this again, obviously, next month. And uh, thanks a lot for spending your time with us. Well, thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. Take care, Ralph. Bye-bye. Welcome to another segment of the Grassy Knoll on this December 11th, 2006. We have with us today, back with us today, uh, Ralph Sashmore. He was on with the very first show we did with regard to these shootings that took place, uh, obviously in Columbine, to which he speaks, uh, to the uh, Dunblane Massacre, uh, about which uh, Sandra Utley wrote, also uh, Port Arthur Massacre from both Andrew McGregor and Carl Wernerhoff. Uh, and Ralph is back today. Uh, because, you know, he opened it up. I wanted him, if he would, to uh, basically bring it to a close for a while. And he's agreed to do that. So uh, we want to welcome you back. Uh, Ralph, thanks for spending some time with us. Oh, thank you, Keith. Glad to be back. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, you, you were off first. Uh, I think you heard the interviews with regard to the other uh, two uh, venues. And um, has, this, has this any effect on you? Has it raised any more questions? Has it answered any questions? Uh, uh, how has this all come down uh, for you? Well, I'm glad to have uh, heard uh, from Bill Zabel, especially. I thought I was one of the only ones doing Columbine. I'd heard of his name early on, many years ago, but I thought he had become inactive. Mm-hmm. And when I heard his interview, I was uh, quite surprised, and I emailed him. And hopefully we're starting a collaboration now to uh, work.
Uh, also, does it change, or did it ever change your mind? Maybe you felt that way from the beginning. Uh, when you heard about the uh, Port Arthur situation in Australia, you, you know about uh, the, uh, the Dunblane situation in Scotland. Uh, has it done anything to uh, strengthen your convictions or give you the conviction that this might be something of a, um, well, let's call it what it is, possibly a, a government op? Well, I had heard of, of uh, Port Arthur, and I had done my, a little bit of my own research for that, enough to know that it was uh, most likely a covert operation. This guy, Martin Bryant, once again, was not capable of, of committing the acts that he was accused of. So I knew a little bit about Port Arthur. I was surprised about Don Blaine, though. Uh, I thought that was really a lone gunman, and it was only after talking to Sandra Utley and looking at some of the strange things going on there that it's possible there may have been more stuff going on there, too. Yeah, and um, I know that you're probably in, uh, I guess, correspondence with her via email. That's correct. Uh, she has just come out. I don't know if uh, you saw this or not, uh, that she's come out with a uh, a letter to the editor. Uh, I believe she emailed me that a couple of days ago. Refresh me on what she said, if you remember. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Let me take a look See uh, here. I think I, I, I guess the key paragraph, if I could, uh, is... Um, she writes uh, in the second graph under an editorial she uh, titled The Big Con. She said, if you cannot accept that Dunblane was a massive psychological operation of terror inflicted on the Western world and that the goal was twofold. One, terrorization of the population, in parentheses, to keep us in our place. And two, gun control, parentheses, to keep us in our place. Uh, with the added bonus for some that Thomas Hamilton's life was eliminated, along with the other, uh, all the dirt he had on his fellow pedophiles, and what remained was quickly removed from Hamilton's house within an hour of the massacre happening. Um, I mean, there's more to it than that, but uh, as, as she kind of reconstructed the situation, uh, it dawned on her that, in fact, this might have also the trademark of an operation uh, that was meant to do more than just, uh, and I hate to say it, I mean, that the children become targeted for such a thing. Uh, it makes it all the more heinous. And I don't know, uh, you know, Ralph, if it's one of these things where when you deal with children, it's so horrible that a lot of people, even uh, the victims, uh, parents and siblings and such, just want to see this go away. Hence, they, I guess, um, unwittingly uh, aid those who would like the whole matter to go away for certain reasons, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's, that's always been kind of troubling to me, too, how uh, uh, quickly the parents want to bury the homeless. Uh, of course, I can't put my place, you know, right. myself in their place. The, the trauma must be tremendous and the grief and so forth. But uh, it is a fact that most of them don't want to uh, reface that issue. Yeah, I, I, you know, you, you, you're right. Uh, none of us know. Uh, we might all do the same thing, in fact, and for what would be very good reasons. Mm-hmm. However, it still serves the purposes of those who might have wanted to do something cloaked in this uh, horrendous event. Now, looking back at Columbine in particular, uh, you say uh, you, you wanted to go back, if we could, to discuss whether or not uh, they might have known, there might have been signs uh, that this um, event was about to happen or something was about to happen. And by they, I mean uh, perhaps the police, uh, the school administrators, teachers, etc. So you want to pick it up there? Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, there was a couple of indications that the, the TCM were, were dropping hints about what they were planning on doing. TCM meaning trench coat mafia. Oh, trench coat mafia, right. Fine, okay. Uh, way back in January before April, they, someone had left a bunch of uh, signs all over the school saying 420, or I'm sorry, uh, April 19th, and then a question mark. This was the person put up signs in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. That 
noticed there was also posters in the school advertising the senior prom that was coming up on the 17th. Someone had gone around, scratched out the number 417 and put up 420. <laughs> and next to the motto of the prom, which was, uh, what was the motto of the prom? I believe it was, uh, it's coming, it's coming. Okay. And they, that meaning 417, that was the date of the prom. Right. And whoever had scratched out 417, wrote it 420, the date of the prom by massacre. So those were the indications that they, they knew, you know, some, somebody knew, them, knew, I would say. I don't know if uh, you know any more background information about this, but what I find interesting is um, the uh, point here that says the daily, quote, thought of the day. Thought of the day, right. Which appeared on all the class TV monitors during the first period was something like, you don't want to be here today on the morning of uh, 420. Right, right. Do you know? You know, what, what I'm wondering about, who gets access to that? Was this a student-run situation? It was a student-run situation. I believe they interviewed the person who put that up, and he, of course, said it didn't have anything to do with Harrison Klebold. He just said it had something to do with the, the fact that the weather was nice that day and that everybody would rather be outside. Now, he, he could be possibly telling the truth, though, right? I mean... Uh, they, they never really pressed him on that. Uh, a lot of the people noticed this thought of the day and thought it was unusual. This person was also an associate of Harrison Klebold, however, and other people mm. in the French Mafia. And, and it should be noted that Harrison Klebold were rather close to the whole video group. All right, so honestly, even if this individual knew, uh, they already had laid in a plausible reason for it. Sure. So you could say that, and obviously, you know, you better hope it's a good day that day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How, how did he know that it was going to be such a good day? Or, uh, and, and this is just another one of those many, many Columbine coincidences where, where you have to raise your eyebrows and, and say, is this really all just coincidence? And also, what about this audio uh, announcement <laughs> about... Um, about declaring it was indeed uh, Hitler's birthday. Right, right. Uh, in addition to the the, uh, the visual morning announcement across their TV screens, uh, students also came uh, uh, went on the air over the school audio system, mm -hmm. as they did every morning. I think for the first ten minutes, made some announcements. Right. Well, they had announced that day that it was Hitler's birthday. Surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you remember, one of the uh, the reasons allegedly for this massacre was that these guys were neo-Nazis who worshipped Hitler. Uh, that apparently was just another coincidence that morning. Yeah, that would seem like an utterly bad taste. I'm surprised. Well, you know, who knows? Because it was such a short amount of time, perhaps from that moment onward, uh, that the administration wouldn't have obviously uh, done something to, to uh, seek a little retribution on the people who did that, the students. Yeah, you would think so. Um, one other thing, uh, Bill brought this up. I don't know if you had heard anything before or after. Um, anything about the, the surveillance videos of the, of the uh, uh, high school on April 19th, more or less, uh, being done away with or, or taped over? Uh, I don't know about that. He said on the 19th, yeah, he said that was uh, mm -hmm. taped over. I don't know that much about the, the cafeteria video. It's certainly possible. Uh, they also indicated that there was videos in the library and from the administration offices. That much we know, and, and those videos also just plain disappeared. Um, I want to tell folks also, this is Ralph Seishmar. Uh He uh, was our first interview with regard to any of the massacres, uh, and, of course, uh, this one being uh, Columbine. Uh, 
uh, you can hit his website by going to visigoth.com and just clicking on the link there that's underneath uh, his name and, uh, and upcoming shows and also we're uh, in our archived audio which of course will happen uh, about half an hour after the show is over and then you can take a look through the message boards and such um, uh, I'm just wondering too and that's what maybe you mentioned about the message boards uh, was there anything that anybody came across uh, came up with even before you were on the last time that indicated uh, some trouble or something uh, untoward might have been going on on the 19th? Uh, as far as uh, students being aware of that? Anybody, sure, anybody. Uh, specifically, no, not on the 19th. I remember there was some, uh, uh, somebody, a uh, student had said they found a, a bomb in a trash can on the 19th. Mm-hmm. Or somebody had made some kind of comment to that effect. Okay. And, and that was one of the things. Uh, I know some bomb threats were allegedly phoned in on the morning of the 20th. And is this before uh, any of the events unfolded? Any, yeah, that's correct. Uh, All right. Right, right. And get, initially, I believe uh, there was some indication that the, the, it was planned for the 19th of uh, April, not the 20th. And uh, why that was changed is not really known. I heard one story that said that everything was set to go on the 19th, but Harrison Klebold did not show up. I don't know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Another indication was that, that it was on the 19th, but whoever was overseeing it had pushed it back to the 20th due to it was, you know, being Hitler's birthday. And that, again, it's just rumor. Right, well, you know, the 19th has uh, obviously some, uh, uh, I guess, uh, symbolism also because the 19th is Patriot's Day, and that's the day which the uh, Murrow's uh, building was bombed in o- Oklahoma City. Right, Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, with regard to the arsenal they supposedly had or didn't have, uh, were there any more guns than the ones that, that were found, I guess, close to their person or otherwise? Uh, well, there was talk of a, of a Glock being found. Uh, one of the, uh, the trench girls would ask about a Glock. There was repeated reference to, to a Glock and they, 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 uh, the uh, released interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the policemen who went to Harris' home that morning there were three policemen from the Sheridan Police Department. They arrived at the Harris apartment sometime that morning. The guy who went in the house first said there was another shotgun in his bedroom, hanging from the sling uh, from the wall. Mm. So <laughs> mm. that later became a, a BB gun. But uh, the first officer in said it was definitely a shotgun. <laughs> and whatever happened to that shotgun, where it came from, that, that was the end of that story. Well, yeah, it's so hard now. Uh, uh, to divine what was the truth from mm-hmm. what has been uh, used for the truth. Yeah. But, I just want to say there was another individual that arrived on scene at around noon, or slightly past, and this was a, a 27-year-old. He came to the scene with a, a knife strapped to his leg. He was intercepted rather quickly. He was carrying a 22 action rifle. The police also tried to indicate that that was a BB gun. But it was definitely a 22. The interesting thing there is, is why would they try to make it a BB gun when he was actually carrying a rifle to the school? Well, what about these weapons also, uh, and, and the ones that uh, have always been, um, you know, attached to, to the two, uh, uh, Harris and Klebold? Has it, now, again, this is another thing that can get muddied in time, but was there any kind of uh, extensive uh, uh, search as to where these uh, weapons came from? They did a good extensive search on two of the weapons. The, the Tech-9 uh, machine pistol was traced back to a, an associate of the Trenchcoat Mafia, and from there to the Tanner Gun Show. Uh, the the double-barreled shotgun was also uh, 
they found where where they got that double-barreled shotgun. It was all from the gun show. But the other two weapons, the high-point rifle and the pump-action shotgun, they never found out or they never investigated where they got those guns. They just said that they picked them up at the, the Tanner gun show, but they didn't indicate from who. Um, Interestingly. Is there any evidence or anything that leads to uh, these guns perhaps... Uh, passing through the hands of uh, police? Well, there were some early indications, some very early reports. The uh, reporters went to a gun shop not too far from uh, Littleton. This was a place called Dave's Guns, and there was a lot of reporters descended on that shop, and uh, apparently information was let loose that a couple of the guns came from this gun shop. It's interesting, this guy had a very close association with the police. His gun shop was called, I think, believe Dave's Guns and Police Supply. Mm -hmm. He uh, he sold to the police. He was the biggest gun supplier to the police. He bought police weapons, surplus weapons. He also hired uh, off-duty officers to work at his shop. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking maybe these guys went to that gun show also, and they sold their label weapons from this, this gun shop that was associated with the police. Uh, what are the... Uh the gun laws uh, in Colorado for purchase. Is there a certain age uh, minimum? Well, you had to be 18 to buy a gun at that time. And they were? Well, Cleveland had just turned 18. Harris was still 17, which is why they had to use one of their girlfriends to buy one of the guns, the double-barrel shotgun. She did a straw purchase of the gun. You know, you made mention before about the, uh, the location of, of, of one alleged shotgun in, uh, I think it was Klebold's apartment. And it was Harris's room, Harris's room in his house. It was Harris's room? Yes, they went to Harris's, the, the Harris residence. Okay. That's where they found the shotgun uh, hanging from the wall. Okay, all right. But you used the word apartment, didn't you, or did you mean just... Uh, I, mean, I meant his room in his house. Okay. He was living with his parents at the time. Right, no, there, I, I just didn't know if in a place as small as one's, as I would refer to an apartment, you know, how the heck do you hide that from your folks? I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, that was another question. I mean, it was hanging right from the wall. How do you hide this from your folks? Unless, unless well, that... maybe the parents never came into the room or somebody put it there to implicate him. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that could be done after the fact for an intended purpose. Mm -hmm. All right. And then that's the other thing. And there were stories about them, suppose, or I guess Harris in the garage having made bombs and such like that. I remember thinking, gee, so much for a parental supervision or, uh, you know watching what a, a son's doing. Yeah, that was another thing. They, they found bombs and bomb components in, at both boys' houses, which is unusual. You would think if they made all those bombs that they would actually take them to the school. Why would they leave some at home and clearly implicate themselves? Well, two things, and I want to uh, get back to especially um, perhaps the, uh, the planning of the bombs. Uh, but is there an individual, uh, I believe uh, you made me aware of, it, uh, how do you pronounce the last name? Uh, M A N E S. Mark Manitz. What's the Mark story? With, yeah. Yeah, he was uh, about 24 years old. He was one of two people arrested for supplying the Tech Nine to Klebold. Mm -hmm. Klebold was that time was 17, and, and Mark Manitz was not a gun dealer. He just sold the weapon to him illegally. Okay. So he was arrested and tried, and he did serve two years in prison. Is what I understand. All right. He had a rather close relationship to Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, Despite not really hanging out with the same crowd, he did some favors for Harris. He bought ammunition for him the night before. He took him out to the Rampart Range three times and filmed them shooting the weapons, which I thought was, was mighty convenient for the police case. 
Since he had, as I think you would agree, enough complicity to put him into um, um, you know, some kind of um, involvement with the murders, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm surprised he wasn't he wasn't tried on any of those counts. Well, he was only, the only thing they got him on was uh, uh, selling the weapon to to Cleveland. There was never any hint that he knew it was going to happen. Although, as I said, it's just odd that he he did so many things for Harrison Cleveland, and he was always uh, you know very. Uh, What's the word uh, convenient for them? Mm. The ammunition, filming them with the guns, taking them out to the rampart range, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm just surprised he didn't get hit with a, with a, a charge of you know conspiracy to commit murder. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, all right. And does does anybody know whatever happened to him? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. After he was released from prison, I don't know if he's in the area still or not. I imagine he's keeping a pretty low profile. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> all right. Uh, going on to. Um, what you would call strange goings on in the uh, high school kitchen. Mm-hmm. What about that? Well, uh, during the the rescue, right in the middle of the siege, uh, the students, a lot of the students in the cafeteria, they went into the back rooms, the back of the kitchen, uh, in search of shelter. There were several rooms, uh, storage rooms, offices, janitorial closets, and a lot of the students hid in those rooms, and they they locked the doors behind them. Well, at some point. About an hour later, uh, one of the students went from door to door in that kitchen area, and he tried to get people to open the doors for him, and none of them would. And uh, there was some uh, question whether he was really one of the, the shooters or whether he was acting at the behest of one of the shooters. But eventually, no, nobody opened the door for this guy. It's rather suspicious of why he went door to door trying to get people to, to come out. One of my theories was that the, uh, by that time the police had entered the school, they had grabbed this kid, and they were trying to find out where the gunmen were, so they had this kid go from door to door trying to find out if anybody was uh, in there, <laughs> so, shall we say. That, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Uh, uh, well, that's the only theory that I knew of. Why would this, he was just a student himself there. He was not associated with the trench coat mafia. And uh, if it was right in the middle of the shooting, why would he have the time to go from room to room passing his ID card under the doors, trying to get people to open the door. It doesn't make sense. He could, if he wanted to rescue people, he would just quickly say, you know, the coast is clear, let's go. Yeah. If people didn't want to follow him, he would just leave himself. But here he spends all his time down there in this kitchen, going from door to door, trying to get people to come out, convincing them. At the same time, the shooters are roaming around in the cafeteria there. Yeah, I mean, so what exactly happened there, I don't know. I mean, the only way that makes any kind of sense to me is if you wanted to uh, uh, basically, um, you know, uh, flush him out uh, for for a further uh, body count. Yeah, but he he was not one of the trench coat mafia, and there was no indication that the the trench coaters were down there with him. Like I said, I'm thinking the cops got a hold of this guy, and they they used him to try to find out who was behind those doors, if the gunmen were behind it. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know how good an idea that is either. I mean, yeah, it, it is kind of unrealistic, but then again, it, there were so many uh, actions that, in that school that were unexplainable. So, well, you know, going back to the fact—it's not, not a fact—to the possibility that 
this event was supposed to take place on 9-14 later in the day. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, what's always kind of like made me scratch my head is that when you talk about over 100 possible explosive devices, and a number of them kind of burdensome, right? Right. Uh, Bill, Zab- Bill Zabel said there were, I think, over 20, 20-pound propane tanks. I only know of two that they carried in. Right. But even just two, it would be way too much for them to, to lug around. Obviously, these things had to be pre-staged, most of them. Well, and also, if you're going to bring this stuff in, I mean, one of the reasons why you get the trench coat on is to hide the weaponry. Right. Now you come walking in with these things. What do you, I mean, what is it, for a, a, a science experiment? Yeah, yeah, but, but nobody uh, saw them uh, walking to the school with big duffel bags full of bombs. Well, you see, around. right, and that's another thing that I find problematic because if it were a place that wasn't under the surveillance of cameras, uh, wasn't there anybody around, you know, school personnel or anything that, that, you know, could see that? Now, I understand in any facility, on any given day, you could probably walk right by everybody, uh, or not right by everybody, but into a, a school facility and nobody see you. I mean, that's possible. Uh, I think even where uh, uh, this elementary school that we have down here where my wife and I go skating, uh, they have everything fenced off, and yet I know that if I walk to the uh, what you would call the uh, the plant operation mm-hmm. uh, area, that door is open. I'm in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've gone in there, in fact, and not that this is like a big detail, but I'll, let's say this. I mean, m- people obviously are really, really concerned and very, very protective of elementary schools, okay? Mm-hmm. But I can go in there, and I've gone in there trying to ask them if I could use the restroom and just gone ahead and done it yeah. and walked back out again, and nobody saw me. So, I mean, it's, it's great if they want you to go where visitors are supposed to go, which is very surveilled and, um, and you know, full of fences and, and, uh, and uh, devices, you know, where you have to be recognized to come in. But you can walk right into basically the janitorial area, and that's all there is. Well, if they were going into the school beforehand and planting the bombs, they took a big risk. I mean, what if somebody had seen one of these devices? They well, pull the fire alarm. The school would have been evacuated. They would have lost their chance to go in there and kill a bunch of people. Well, that's why I said, that's that's the final point that I'd like to get to, and that is, if it, if while well, these devices were there, it's not a question if they were or not, but because they were, it's a bit of a logistical task to put you know to get these things in there, mm-hmm. and one would think that the longer they stayed where they were, and especially across perhaps 48 hours, that's going to raise a lot of flags, and uh, and that's going to be the end of that. So, would you agree? that whenever they were put in, they were probably put in, shall we say, mm, the overnight before the event? Uh, my guess, uh, I want to tell you this, I think they were put in during the event. Uh, because, because basically no one found these things beforehand. Uh, there weren't that many places there that you could hide them with any expectation that no one would find them. So I'm, I'm thinking that after the thing started, they shuttled back and forth between their cars and they spread them out in the school. Or there was some central location where they were all staged inside the school, and then they were spread out. What are the chances, then, that uh, they would have had help beyond just the two of them? Oh, that, that's, uh, of course, 100%. As right. I told you, there were others spotted on scene, at least five other perpetrators. Yeah, Bill had also mentioned, I guess, one other device that was found after the fact. After it all went down, uh, something was found. I, I, I don't remember if you said we were in the, if we were in the kitchen. Uh, yeah, that was uh, another bomb that was found either the next day or the day after. Bill Zabel said it was found on the 21st in the cafeteria. My information was that it was found on the 22nd in the kitchen. And it was found in the kitchen, and then only a couple of days later, it, they tur- mm-hmm. it turned into a cafeteria, a bomb. Now, For some reason, they shifted the lo- location from the kitchen to the, the fact of the cafeteria. But, 
but again, you know, who would have done it, and what was the, uh, I wouldn't say the benefit, but what was the point? Of, of why they would put one in the kitchen? Or that why one would show up a day or two after. Uh, well, they, I guess the obvious implication is that they hit it so well that they didn't find it the first time around. But the only problem with that theory is that the kitchen workers indicated that there weren't that many places in that kitchen where you could hide something like that. You know? Yeah. Uh, what was the past put up in the ceiling? Uh, you know, who knows? Of all the things that took place that are that are questionable, questionable. What, how would you rank the whole bit about the explosives being put into the school? Would that be one of the ones that's kind of uh, high on your list with regard to uh, you know strangeness? Uh, what I found strange about the bombs is that I don't know of a single school shooting where, where bombs injured anybody in the modern era. Oftentimes these kids are spending time making these things, but they're they're most of them don't go off and they don't ever injure anybody. So why do you spend all this time making all these bombs and only have a handful go off is always confusing. Are they really plan on bombing the school or are these things just props used to delay the police response? Yeah, and none of them obviously ever did go off, is that correct? Well, I wouldn't say none of them. I'd say about a handful, maybe 10 to 15 went off. How many of them would have been hand-tossed pipe bombs, do you know? Uh, probably about seven or eight. And, of course, though, now, to refresh my memory, was it one or more individuals supposedly uh, uh, involved with throwing the pipe bombs? Uh, they saw, uh, yeah, they saw the, the white T-shirted bomber throw a pipe bomb, but I'm sure they, they all kind of participated in that aspect of it. Hmm. We had bombs going out from the library, in the hallways, down in the cafeteria. And so the, the numerous people must have participated in that aspect of it. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it just, it just sounds so fishy. I mean, to do it, to... Uh, uh, impute to them the, avail the ability to do all these things uh, within a short period of time. And I think what everybody forgets about, and uh, you know, I'm no expert for sure, but you know, I, I, I have a friend that re retired from the FBI, and uh, he recounted a couple of stories about what happens, uh, you know, before shootouts and stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, people, uh, the, their adrenaline is just pumping, and in a way, you're almost out of body. Uh, none of these people that we know of who were involved in any of these incidents in Columbine or elsewhere were such, you know, so hardened to combat or uh, or shooting that you would have, you know, that, that it would have seen that these people carry this out with such a plum. And, that, you know, it certainly can't be the case. I mean, let's, let's put our, ourselves in situations where we even had to draw a firearm, let's say, to defend ourselves or in the preparation to do such. Can you imagine? I mean, you're not in your regular kind of mind, if you know what I mean. Right, that was one of the curious things. These guys were seen that morning in school, in class, and they were all appearing and acting quite normal. No nervousness, no antsiness. And then and suddenly they, they disappear around third period, and they show up, uh, you know, at 11.15, and everybody's shooting. So they actually, and, and you know, I got me past this, I mean, uh, of yourself or Bill way back when, but it doesn't matter. We might as well use this as much as a review for anything as anything else. But they were actually sitting in class. They had gone through a class or two. Uh, yeah, they, they had, uh, I believe, gone through the first two hours worth of classes, most of them. And, and I think for the third period, they were all missing, and then they show up at 11 o'clock back at school. So where, where were they for that last hour? I don't know. That's a good question. And nobody said they showed any visible signs of uh, you know, irritation, excitement, uneasiness? No, not that morning. They were all in class, apparently normal, from what the fellow students said. And what's interesting, you know, of course, that I've, that I've named uh, four other people being involved. Uh, well, these people, they tried to get back into the school after they had left already. 
after they had been arrested and interrogated, they were seen trying to re-enter the school. Are, are you saying the, the day of the event? The day of the event, right, right. Uh, these were uh, at least three of the individuals were seen as uh, gunmen, and about an hour or two later, they're back trying to get into the school because they're worried about their friends and their relatives, sisters, and brothers. All right, I, I want to get back to the uh, the school situation, but now that you mentioned this, yeah, that's something that I found interesting as I'm going through the information that you gave me, and um, you wrote something with regard to a um, a uh, security guard at a Swedish medical center. Mm-hmm. All right, now, is, is this what you're referring to about the, the students wanting to get back in? No, no, this is uh, referring to uh, three other, not the splatter punks. These were the, the three trench coat mafia members that were seen uh, by students shooting with guns. In other words, they were actively part of the shooting party. All right, so the, these three people you're talking about right now, these three students, were trench coat mafia who have been already brought to the police. I'm assuming that they, they took off. They were, uh, yeah, they were apprehended quite quickly by the police. But then they were all seen later that day trying to get back to the school. Now, had this they were worried about their, their sisters, in one case, their friends, whatever. Do you know what time that might have been? Uh, that, that was kind of vague. They never indicated. It was afternoon, uh, but I don't know the exact time. One of the infuriating things about the interviews was that they were always vague about the time, or if they were specific about the time, they were vague about the place. So I could never quite figure out when that was, when uh, they were arrested exactly, when they were apprehended. Do you know um, on what kind of information the police even uh, brought them in? Uh, I would assume that would be the strength of the eyewitness uh, interviews. That stated what? Well, they were all talking about the trench coat mafia doing this. Multiple gunmen wearing black trench coats, and these everybody knew who these people were. Well, were there any uh, eyewitness accounts that fingered them and said, listen, these kids were doing such and such? Uh, yes, there were, but these were released later. Many, okay. many students uh, ID these people as being gunmen. All right, the reason I'm asking is... Robert Perry, as you well know. Right. Uh, Chris Morris was seen by two or three people. So, so they knew who they were. Uh, were Morris and Perry among the three TMCs? Yes, they were. Morris was the, the leader. Yeah. All right, and were, were these uh, two of the three that were taken in for questioning? Uh, yes, correct. They were all, all the, uh, the five other gunmen were picked up pretty quickly. All right, so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why even why would you even be expeditious, and I, I mean this with regard to the police, about letting them get back out? You think at least they'd sit on them until you saw what happens. That's until, what I would think, too, but the only explanation I have is that uh, as soon as they were picked up, they got a phone call saying, you know, uh, these guys are not it, let them go. That's the only explanation I have. They must have been ordered to let these people go. All right, now, uh, who were the arresting officers? They belong to what department? Uh, I don't know that. We don't know who arrested them. Or, but there were, all, there were so many police at the scene, it could have been anybody. Probably Jefferson County or Littleton or, or Denver PD. All right, uh, so can we presume that the whole release of these uh, these three individuals, or five, you know, all told, uh, that kind of stinks? It certainly does. If you have eyewitness uh, accounts that uh, you know that you've seen somebody shooting a gun and, and killing, you obviously don't just pick them up for a couple hours and let them go. All right. You know, you do medical tests. You have them stand up and line up. You gather other uh, eyewitness testimony. So it's pretty clear that somebody dropped the word down the line. You know, you will let these people go. And I think that was the federal government. My suspicion is that the crime scene was federalized. And at some point, they just got a phone call saying, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll handle this. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Well, let's t look at another trio, the one that I was referring to, um, but about whom you uh, sent me some information. Right, the slaughter punks. Well, first of all, we got a, a Ken Greenwald, who's a security guard uh, at the Swedish Medical Center. What is the proximity of the medical center to anything? Uh, I believe it wasn't too far from where the school was, because that's where they parked their car, these splatter punks. They came from uh, Broomfield across town. Mm -hmm. They said they heard it on the radio. So they drove across town, didn't have any trouble approaching the school, didn't have any trouble finding a parking space. All right. I'm just going to uh, I'm going to read what you gave me, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, this individual, Greenwald, um, he saw the uh, three SP Splatterpunks exit their vehicle. Uh, Columbine was already on the news at the time, and uh, I assume this is Greenwald sees them being arrested on TV. Unfortunately, in parentheses, you state he doesn't give a time. Later, he sees these three SPs re-enter the vehicle and quote raise their fists in the air and wave them toward the school as if they were happy about what happened, uh, end of quote. That quote comes direct, that's a rip directly from Greenwald, is it not? Uh, yes, that's true, yes, he was interviewed. All right, so, so what about this whole scenario? Do you, I mean... Well, it, it is clear that these guys uh, had foreknowledge. There was a, another onlooker in Clement Park who was watching the, the, the police response, and he was standing near these three splatter points, and they told him that they, they, they had foreknowledge, uh, they told him they knew who was doing it and why. <laughs> So, so the, the story that they cooked up that they heard it on the radio and just came down to look was a bunch of hooey. They were given foreknowledge. Obviously, they were part, you know, part of the same social milieu. They'd heard about it. They were told to come down and, and watch the action. Yeah, I mean, this this stuff is it, obviously for people who look for things to make sense. This gets a little bit frustrating. Right. I mean, it just you know, it just it, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Uh, another thing too, and, and I want to tell folks, it's. Um, 36 after the hour, you're listening to the Grassy Knoll. We have with us Ralph Seishmar. He has been with us before to uh, speak to Columbine. He more or less kicked this uh, whole unfortunate uh, series of interviews off, uh, um, being the first one up, and we're giving him uh, a final shot, at least for a while. Um, Ralph, anything more about the website that I've not mentioned? Like I said, I have a link up so that people can get there. Uh, but I've not asked you whether or not you'd like him to go to a particular area or any other features about uh, the, uh, the uh, website. Uh, you mean the Echoes of Columbine website? Yeah, and if there's more, and I think you got two more or something like that, or? Uh, yeah, just go to that website and peruse the information that you find. I prefer my post. I'm, I'm probably the biggest researcher on that site, and if you just go to what I'm posting there, you'll find out lots of information. All right, and can you give us that URL? Uh, it's just Echoes of Columbine at EasyBoard. Right. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't uh, give you the whole thing. No, I know. It's, it's kind of extensive, but that will get them there, too, even if they have to do a search. It's Echoes of Columbine, right? Yeah, or just under my name, Star Diego. Okay. And that's, that's stars and star, folks. Uh, Diego, V-I-E-G-O, one word, right? Right, right. I'm, and uh, I'm in the search engines associated okay. with Columbine, so if you just look for that, you'll find where I'm, where I'm at. And, folks, if you want to make a comment, if you want to ask a question uh, using email, visigoth at hotmail.com. If you're going to use an IM service, if it's MSN, it's Vizigoth, B-Y-Z-Y-G-O-T-H. And with Yahoo, it's Viz1400, and send them along, and we'll, we'll take them as they come. Uh, what I'm also thinking about with the accounts of students, and as I, I read yours this morning and uh, later yesterday, and I'm thinking back to Bill and the whole scenario, uh, was, was there a lockdown? I mean, I know this might be a dull question, but, I mean, was there a lockdown in effect? Did they try to get them out, or what happened? 
Was lockdown after the shooting started? Yeah, yeah. Lockdown before the shooting started, or, or what? Well, I doubt there could be one before, unless that's another strange oddity. But uh, no, let's. I mean, did they ever go into lockdown mode after it was known that there was firing going on? Uh, after the firing started, they they, they initially pulled the fire alarms. They tried to get students out, but then the the teachers realized that these gunmen were in the hallways, so they tried to push everybody back into the classrooms and then to lock the doors and barricade the doors. I'd say maybe roughly half the students ran out. Half of them were left behind in the classrooms and had to wait three or four hours to get loose. So, well, we, when we see the uh, the film footage, and it's probably the, the thing that's most um, most viewed by us, are the kids being led in a train, so to speak, right, running from the school and behind some vehicles. Right. Can you place that as far as where that when that happened during the timeline? Yeah, I would say that's approximately one thirty to two thirty p.m. Most of those kids that you see running out were probably from the kitchen or the science areas. That's about when they were brought out. At that point, uh, the police had gotten information that the, the gunmen were students and that they may be trying to escape as victims. So unfortunately, everybody was treated as a suspect at that point. They all had to come out with their hands up in the air. They were all patted down and searched. So that was a byproduct of that. That kind of slows down the process, doesn't it? It does. If you don't know who the gunmen are, you know... Yeah, I know, you know, but still, you know, it's easy to second guess. I understand that, but I also think that don't you run the risk, or don't you err on the side of um, saving lives if you let them all get out of there? Because sooner or later you're going to come down with information, in interviews, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I just don't know how far the the perks could get away, let's say, or how long they could stay uh, uh, away from being apprehended. And in the meantime, if you're backing everything up. And again, I don't mean to be hypercritical about the police, but it's I just rather like, you know, when they talk about dead bodies and then sort out, you know, <laughs> the ones you wanted, like let everybody get out and then sort out out of live bodies the ones that you want to grab, if you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. And the police were criticized for concentrating on setting up a perimeter while the shooters were inside the school. That was one of the big causes of criticism of the police. It's all the more interesting because several of the first responders had kids inside that school. There was like 20 cops who, who participated in that operation who had children inside that school. Did that impact them any differently than anyone else uh, 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 in law enforcement? Well, it, it uh, kind of gave a lie to the idea that the police were just cowards. That was one of the criticisms that was made. But obviously, if these men had children inside of that, you know, cowardice was not what was kept them out. So, well, if, if there were just the two of them. With where the schools laid out, mm-hmm. were there first reports that they were? Did they ever split up? Were they together everywhere they went? And did it start in the kitchen, or did it start in the library? And 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 just how you know peripatetic was it throughout the school? Well, officially speaking, they were together most of the time. It started on the, the western side of the school. They allegedly started shooting, and then they uh, went to the cafeteria, up the stairway, and into the library. That was the first story that they put out, and then later that was changed that they started on the western side, but went through the west entrance doors and then into the library. But officially, yes, they did stay together most of the time that they were in that school. See, with regard to the lockdown situation, and I've wondered about this, um, and, and personally, my feeling has always been, and I, it it probably predates Columbine, honestly, when I started seeing fences going up around uh, schools here. And there might be another reason why that uh, will happen. And, and just as a, sh- a quick digression, there may be uh, uh, FEMA 
prerequisites, if you will, for making certain schools areas of shelters during uh, the hurricanes and such, and we can all understand that. Mm-hmm. But to, to, be, to do that, you have to be retrofitted with certain things, and one of them is a fully enclosed uh, facility behind China, chain link or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I used to see that go up, and I was still saying to myself, well, you know, how, how much does this really mean? If you, got, if you have gates and fences, what difference does it make? You know what I mean? You don't have the whole thing sealed off all the time. Right, right. Exactly. Now, now, having said that, I always thought that if I had children, I'd rather have them beat it out of school and take their chances on the run rather than be gathered together, which seems to me like if things go wrong, I mean, that's like fish in a barrel. I mean, I just, you know, the implications of that are massive. Exactly. Now, now with this situation with Columbine, do, do we have like half of an evacuation and then all of a sudden because of perhaps where the shooters were, as you said, uh, the teachers turn around and say, okay, that's it, we're locking down and, um, you know, get under the desk or go into a coat room or whatever. Yeah, that happened in the first five minutes. It, it turned from an evacuation drill to everybody get back inside and lock the doors. But that was just in the first five minutes. Did, was there any kind of accurate, I don't see how there could be, by the way, but was there any kind of accurate information about the, the travels of the two? Or did it ever get to a point where they were, were supposedly located in so many places, you're wondering, like, how could these two guys get around? What was the deal on that? Uh, well, the, the students who came out and who talked to officers right away uh, told them where they were. And they were basically in the same areas. They were in the library, in the science hall, in the cafeteria, and in the front office. That was kind of confusing, I guess, because it certainly indicates that they could not have been everywhere at once. And it was just more information that there was multiple teams in there, not just Harrison Klebold, but probably at least two teams traveling around shooting at the school. So then it, it, it does make sense that if um, that, that, that teachers and the students were hearing uh, gunfire go off to the point where uh, even though they weren't supposed to be there, Cleveland and Harris, obviously something was going on, and that was, uh, you know, the motivation to let, to keep them hunkered down. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when you hear these accounts, when you read these accounts, rather, mm-hmm. uh, from students and such, sometimes, and I, I must say, I did at first think about it as if these students were alone, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, would you say that in these rooms? There were, like, say, upwards of 10 to 15 students. And, and most of them there were, that's true. And some of these smaller storage rooms that they hid in, they were packed in like fish in a barrel. All right, and, and now I'm assuming that because you only hear about one student, per se, in a particular room, uh, that would be um, the result of not everybody wanting to give a bit, an eyewitness account. Well, uh, most of the ones who were caught in... I think everybody was interviewed. The, the question is why some interviews were never publicized. Uh, you've got several hundred, at least, of, of the kids that were inside were, were, whose interviews were not made public, and we're still trying to figure out why. Interesting. I don't know. It's hard to guess. I, I would just assume that they're quelching information. They don't want stuff to get out. What they did release was very limited. So these are some of the tactics they used to suppress the truth. Hopefully in times we may make contact with some of these missing interviewed people, so who knows. Just out of curiosity, has there ever been any kind of information or rumor or anything to the fact that any of the students, now that they're older, um, perhaps maybe still too young to do such a thing, uh, were going to write about their experiences with Columbine? Uh, there were several books that have come out, that's true, I'd say about four or five from the, some of the victims' parents and some of the students.
shoots themselves. And they do mention the occasional interesting fact, but most of the uh, the impact of these books is on the, the personal uh, uh, feelings that they had and the impact personally on them. And I'm, I'm thinking... Something in the, in the nature of investigatory uh, uh, journalism. Right. And, and again, these students at this time now are only probably 26, 27. Yeah, 25, I think. 25. Right, and, and that still would be kind of on the young side for anyone to do an undertaking. That's true. I'm hoping that at some point in the future, a lot of these kids will realize, you know, maybe the fear is gone at that point, and that there will be a time for truth-telling. And hopefully I'll still be around when uh, when they feel like talking. Yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah. Um, Interestingly uh, enough, uh, I thought once the uh, we got going with the websites and so forth, that we'd attract all sorts of people that were involved and, and would come on board and give their personal accounts. Yeah. But that has not happened. Uh, ha, ha, has there been any anyone or two that you can uh, verify were, were there or just absolutely zero? Uh, well, there have been a handful who occasionally popped in, to, uh, uh, but mostly they, they just indicate they don't want to get involved. Uh, uh, they're not answering any more questions, and they want to move on. Uh, <clears throat> about some of the other things that happened that day and whether or not they make sense in the whole puzzle of, of events, um, since I don't know where this is, what would be the import of um, a supposed bomb that went off, or at least rumored to have gone off, uh, in South Wadsworth? Yeah, yeah, that was a, a bomb that went off about five minutes before the attack began. I think that was about a mile and a half south of the school. That was attributed to Harrison Klebold as some kind of diversion device. And, and was it in any kind of uh, uh, building or domicile? No, yeah, it was in a, uh, like a vacant lot in a culvert. Down in a ditch somewhere. Suddenly they went off, and, and, and people started calling 911 from the neighborhood there. Mm -hmm. uh, they tried to say that was Harrison Klebold that did that. However, they had not a shred of evidence to that effect. They, they, they cited nothing that tied those bombs to Harrison Klebold. Did they know what kind of bomb it was? Uh, it was more or less the same device propane, pipe bombs together, cans of gas, all stuffed in a bag. I asked Bill this, but it's, it slipped me just for the second. Uh, the propane, and I think he did say that the propane uh, devices uh, could be uh, time-sensitive and triggered that way. Uh, was that the case with uh, this particular uh, bomb? Oh, you know, they released so very little information on those, we don't know. If it was a clock or somebody just put a fuse on a pipe bomb or what happened exactly. All right. Uh, again, with other uh, individuals, there is an account that you have uh, listed uh, with something to do with uh, perhaps uh, P P Pomona High School students. Now, where is Pahoma, Pomona? Yeah. Pomona? Thank you. That was, was another high school in the same school district as Columbine. Uh, that gets back to the Splatter Punks. They were uh, allegedly involved in a, another assault, according to numerous reports that came in, that they were planning on attacking Pomona. I should point out that uh, three days before Columbine, Two students were arrested in that school at night with explosives. Where? At, at Pomona High School. At Pomona? Okay. At Pomona High School. Three, three days before Columbine, two individuals were arrested inside that school with explosives. Another one was arrested, I think, right outside. He said he was on maneuvers when he was arrested. And they didn't give their names, but I'm thinking these were the same guys, these same splatter punks. Because they, they, they uh, well, they uh, were accused, I guess, from other students of attacking Pomona or wanting to. All right. Well, now, there's a couple things here. Let's take the one that sounds the, the, uh, the weirdest, and that is, all right, the kids got, got camos on. 
mm-hmm. which is not a strange thing for civilians to wear because it's become kind of like a you know a chic fashion. Right, but so, it does kind of say something about their militaristic mindset that. But we, the, the trench coaters also wore uh, camouflage at times. But we, now, if these you, you're saying you're assuming that these individuals are, are splatterpunks, mm-hmm. uh, was part of their mufti wearing camouflage? Camos. Well, they always wore mostly camo, black, variations of the same. All right, uh, and they were arrested in the school, and that would be what April seventeenth. I believe it was April seventeenth, right, in the, at nighttime around midnight. I believe it was. So that would make it Saturday, correct? I think Saturday, right? And they did have explosives on them, so <laughs> you know. And then they show up a couple, three days later at Columbine, and it, uh, there's no connection there. So I can't be, uh, say for certain that these were the, the same splatter punks. It just sounds like them. But but nevertheless, whoever was in there, yeah. first of all, is trespassing. Second of all, um, is connected or are connected with uh, explosive, correct? Right, right. And it sounds like another attack on, on another school there, indicating perhaps that what happened at Columbine was just supposed to be the beginning, that that was supposed to have been done in conjunction with other school attacks in various places. But wouldn't this indicate that Pomona probably would have been... Uh, I mean, because I'm looking at a couple of things, and I'm just thinking, one... Uh, did these characters want to do a copycat, if you will, before the actual event? You know what I'm saying? I don't think we could call it a copycat. I think it was a coordinated attack. That's what was supposed to happen. But they just got intercepted by the police. All right. So in other words, there might have been a two or even three uh, school event within the, to- the totality of what was being done. Right. Or it could have been a seven or eight school event. There was a whole bunch of people being busted uh, before and after the fact after Columbine, and there was indications that some of these things had uh, connections to Columbine. And since I said it could have been three, was there any information uh, to suggest there might have been another school or schools involved beyond Pomona and Columbine? Right. Uh, the day before, uh, two transcripts had been arrested in Evans High School in Georgia, in Appling, Georgia, across the country, Yeah. which is near Augusta. Yeah. They, they were also into the black trench coat look. They, they, they did the combat role-playing scenarios. They were into the occult, and they had been arrested the day before. And the researchers first indicated that they had some kind of connection to the Columbine Strange Coat Mafia via the Internet. Well, that was going to be my next question. Did, did anybody ever make public? Because I know, if it's, you know, with what we're dealing with here now, certain information is going to be suppressed or has been suppressed. Certain stuff gets out. So uh, is there information, again, or rumors or anything alleged that there was, like, say, an email or a blog a, a, a correspondence between these individuals uh, in Georgia and also uh, with the Columbine perps. Yeah, well, there's no direct police evidence that has been released. However, the, the first interviews that were given to the school administrators, they said that there was a connection. They were either in Internet contact with the Colorado's Trench Coat Mafia or they were visiting the same uh, website, same Trench Coat Mafia website. And, of course, they dressed the same. They, they thought the same. It sounds like they were planning on doing an attack on the 20th. So we either this is all, once again, just coincidence, or it was a coordinated attack, planned attack. Now, you've had some incidents out in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, has your research, because, I mean, um, memory fails me, but has there been any kind of research that things have, in a sense, quieted down or have been on the increase? I mean, we did have supposedly long guns, gunman situations in Oregon and elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, what about the activity or lack thereof 
along these lines uh, since 1999? Uh, I, I, it looks as though the school shooting phenomenon is actually increasing. We've had a, about eight or nine incidences, like in September and October. The latest one was over in Germany, MZET School. Mm-hmm. Here was a, a, another lone gunman, apparently, but he was also a big fan of Harrison Klebold. He wore the black trench coat once again. Uh-huh. There's some indications that he was planning it with others, although he was fingered as the lone gunman. So <laughs> it just keeps going and going. You know, uh, did you get a, uh, an email from Sandra? Because this just dawned on my memory again uh, when she had um, uh, spoken to a certain extent about an incident that took place in Germany. I think uh, I think there was even a, a wire service story that she forwarded with it. Do you remember that? Uh, incident in Germany. Are you talking about the Erfurt shooting? Uh, she's going to kill me for not knowing. Uh, yeah. it, it sounded like this one was earlier. Would that have been that particular one? It's probably Erfurt, Germany shooting. There's another school shooting. That was back in 2002, I believe. All right, because there's, there's a little bit of a strange signature with that as well. Yeah. But the one you're referring to is, uh, is, is more recent. Yes, this happened, I think, just about three weeks ago in a small town in western Germany. Well... I'm, I'm gonna. We're running out of time, and I don't know if you have any final comments. But if if, if you do, just let me throw this one in here too. Um, have you, to your satisfaction, um, given that you're researching this kind of event, um, are you satisfied with what's come out of uh, Southeast Pennsylvania with the shooting at Nickel Mines? The Amish school shooting. Yeah. Uh, that story disappeared very very quickly. The weirdest thing about that was the total lack of motive on the part of the alleged perpetrator. Here we have a stable, church-going family man suddenly one day goes in and, for reasons unknown, guns down all these innocent school children. That that's, you know, that uh-huh. illustrates perfectly the whole problem with the entire school shooting phenomenon, is that none of these guys ever has any motive. None of them. Or that you really don't get any in-depth anatomy of the whole event. No, no, no. It dominates headlines for a day or two, and then the whole thing is forgotten about. Lone gunman, nutcase, case closed. Yeah, and another thing that troubles me about this, and I've not really, I think, uh, spoken to or, or corresponded with Sandra about this, but it's the time that it took for the event to be, and I hate to use the word, but it's accurate, unfortunately, executed, both in Dunblane, for instance, and in uh, Nickel Mines, when you have an individual, again, not given to be a big marksman or whatever, or battle-hardened, taking the time that happened in Dunblane, and also in Nickel Mines, where this guy boarded up a couple of doors. Right, right, right. He was, uh, I, I don't know what, what he was planning or, or what he was thinking. There were some allegations that he was uh, wanted to do a, a mass sexual assault on all these girls gathered in the school. Uh, however, that didn't happen. There was no indications that these young girls were sexually assaulted in that case. And, and yeah, I'm sorry, Ralph. Yeah, well, why, why that came up in, the, in uh, the Bailey, Colorado incident, that was also a sexual assault, and then the Amish school shooting, why they brought this sexual component into the school shooting phenomenon, I don't really know. Perhaps it's just an added element to shock the public with. Well, it's possible that at this point the public is so jaded that unless they hear about you know young girls being sexually assaulted, it, it just it doesn't register anymore. I, I hate to say it, but you mean it's almost like just another murder. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so what the uh, conspirators have to do is bring in new and improved school shootings, add a more shocking element to, to ramp up the fear again. Right. Back in the news. And you know we've never spoken about this as well, but again I have to think back to uh, 
whether this any way, shape, or form was kind of like an MKUltra situation. You have somebody, I guess, reportedly on some kind of uh, psychotropics or whatever, uh, and whether you know that played a role in this or if it played a role that we're not supposed to know about, which obviously is being manipulated. Mm-hmm. Well, it is true. Most of these school shooters are on some kind of psychotropic drugs, but that they're just... Once again, it's mentioned in passing. They never really explored the ramifications of what that might mean. Okay. No, and, and it's more so than just keeping somebody uh, basically able to function in society. It may have another uh, more insidious effect, which we know goes along with MKUltra and uh, psychological manipulation. Right. It's known that a lot of these drugs, they, uh, they mess with the, the sleep cycle. Uh, supposedly, some of the people taking these drugs can no longer tell if they're in a dream right. or if they're in a waking state. Right. It might be possible in such a situation to, to mind control somebody much easier than it would normally. Right. So who knows? All right, Ralph, uh, any parting comments of that? If not, um, we've come to the end of this show. I just want to say that these school shootings are covert operations run by uh, probably intelligent agencies from inside the government. That's all I can say. That's my final conclusion, having studied this phenomenon for so long. Well, if, if you and, uh, and Bill do both uh, lend your... Uh, resources to uh, exploring the, the situation, especially in Columbine, uh, I think that's only going to become more and more evident. Yeah, and I think in time it will. All right, Rob, listen, have a good holiday season. Thanks for spending the time with us again. We're glad you came back. Okay, Keith, thanks for the, uh, the opportunity to express my views. Uh, thanks, Rob. God bless you. Bye-bye.